Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, this series has been about uh, trying to comprehend how we can get through the things that we uh, go through, and not just getting through them, but how we grow through the things that we uh, go through. It is possible, by the way. I mean, Romans 8.28 does say, all things have an ability to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So this series we're calling Sculpted is the way in which God will shape and form and make our lives and how he pairs us and prepares us and how sometimes it's a painful experience that God will put us through while he's getting us to a place where we can ultimately be a reflection of who he is. So this morning I wanna to talk to you a little while about on this topic about a divine displayed, the divine displayed, how God can be seen through our lives. Now, if that's true of us as an individual, then we all gather up in this big old holy huddle. It will be true of us collectively. And I really do believe with all my heart that is the desire of God for his people and for his church to reflect who he is. The Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ. And if we're the body of Christ, we obviously should do what he did. And we should love as he loved. And we should understand how we are to impact the world in which we are, are living. And so we're going to look at how the difficult uh, circumstances of life God will use oftentimes to shape us and to form us and to help us and enable us to be sensitive to people around us and be a good reflection of who he is. So the divine can be displayed. Now I wanna again thank all of you who are praying for our family. Uh, we continue to enjoy the time we have with our little baby, uh, Evie. Uh, again, we don't know how much time we're gonna have with her, but we're enjoying every moment that we have with her. And uh, Billy and Whitney are just doing an amazing job, just loving on that little girl. And uh, sorry. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> we'll keep you posted as we go along with this situation. Have you, ever, um, <laughs> have you ever watched a movie and all of a sudden you bought into the character in the movie and you really liked the character in the movie and suddenly the movie takes a turn you weren't expecting and you have this feeling in the pit of your stomach that you're gonna regret buying the ticket and going to the movie. You, you, you ever had that moment where you say, I hope, I hope it doesn't end this way, right? I hope they don't kill that guy off. I hope she doesn't do that. And all of a sudden you have this sick feeling in your stomach that you hope it turns out better than the direction it seems to be going. Or perhaps, or perhaps uh, you've read a book and all of a sudden you turn a page and you go, oh no, man, I hope it doesn't. If it's going this direction, I am closing the book and I am not finishing the story, right? Have you ever had that experience with a movie or, or with a book? And isn't it great though in those experiences to know that oftentimes you can fast forward the movie and you can go, oh, thank God, they're still there. <laughs> I'm telling you, I wouldn't have finished the movie if I thought they weren't gonna be there. Or you can flip to the back of the book and you go, oh, good, 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 this is a better ending. Then you go back and you're willing to kind of walk through them through all the stress because, because you know, you know, the ending is going to be okay. And can I tell you in life, we, we don't have that advantage, do we? 
We turn the page on our life and we go, oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, no. This is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not the way I thought it was going to go. In fact, Solomon wrote in the, in the book of uh, Proverbs, he said, it's like this experience. And here's the phrasing he uses. It's when the clouds return after the rain. I mean, you just went through a storm and you thought it was gonna get better and you found out, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel writes another train. And you just thought it was good and all of a sudden you find that we're not through this yet. We haven't gotten over it yet. And wouldn't it be nice in life? Wouldn't this be a bonus if God pulled you aside when you go into the dark chapter or he pulled you aside when the scenes are rough or he pulled you aside when the season gets stormy and says, hey, I wanna show you something. Look down there. It gets better. <laughs> you know what would do? What, what, what would that? What would happen if that happened? Is we would have a lot more hope when we go through our circumstance, because we know as bad as it gets, guess what? It's going to get better. As rough it is, as rough as it is, the last chapter says we win. Can I tell you this morning that is exactly the truth? Can I tell you this morning that God has promised us a good outcome? He has promised us a great end to the story. I mean, read the book of Revelation. Guess what? We win. <laughs> I mean, this is the, this is, listen, if you're a Christ follower, think about this. We're going to heaven and this is the only hell that you're ever going to go through. You're going through it right now. So someone famously said, I think it was Churchill, when you go through hell, just keep on going. <laughs> just don't stop. Just determine you're not gonna give in, you're not gonna give up, you're not gonna give out, because what I wanna hope I can do with you this morning is to encourage you with the encouragement that I'm receiving to know it's gonna get better. This is a season and seasons in. This is a chapter and the chapter will close. And this is, a, this is a story that God is writing. And in the midst of the difficult experiences of life, the thing we should be most concerned about, listen, is being a good reflection of who he is. Have you ever thought about it? Sometimes God can be seen in your life and in mine more in our struggles than in our successes. Have you ever thought about the fact that sometimes God may be seen more beautifully, more perfectly, more completely in your setbacks than in your successes? Now, both are great, uh, great experiences rather, impactful experiences. Both are, are huge events that can happen in anyone's life. But I contend that people will see genuinely a truer, pure reflection of who God is by how I handle adversity than how I handle advancement. Have you ever thought about this? There's people that will never come to this church or anybody's church. There are, there are people that you will encounter that, encounter that will never read a Bible. There are people that you and I will meet that will never go into a religious setting whatsoever. So, knowing that, your life and my life could very well be the only Jesus they ever see. Our lives may be the only Bible they ever look at. That's why I tell myself, and I wanna tell you, cause I'm gonna give you some counsel that I try to give me. <laughs> be careful how you handle the really bad days. And you're gonna have some really bad. Days. Thank you. Hang on, I'll get it. 
And the reason you have to be careful how you handle your really bad days is uh, what I call collateral damage. Uh, you can hurt innocent people. Hey, I got little grandbabies now that are looking how we go through what we go through. I have kids that are watching it. I got some of you <laughs> that might be watching it. So what do I do when I have a bad day? I'm, I'm very careful <laughs> with what I say and who I say it around. That's why I'm so glad Troy carry my horses and Longhorns can't talk. <laughs> you you got to have some safe people. You got to sometimes say things. Isn't it good to know? And, and you, I have safe people in my life. I have people who will, will let me have a bad day. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Let me tell you what I know about you. You don't have many of them that won't leave and go, oh my God. You didn't believe that. Oh, he said this. She said, I, oh my gosh, he's a man of God. Cannot believe he said so. You know what I mean? You, you need some people, because you listen, you're gonna go through some hard times. You need some safe people. You need some safe places. Because what you do in times of adversity can create collateral damages. You can hurt innocent people. I can affect people that don't know Jesus. So when I have one of those bad days, I'd be sure, I'm, I'm sure that I surround, listen, when I have a really bad day, I can promise you this, hardly anyone will ever know it. <laughs> That's true. I can smile. I've been in church long enough to know how to be a very convincing hypocrite. <laughs> I've been raised in church, been raised around some of the best. They're all pro, <laughs> generations of them. So when I need to, I can put it out there and I can smile, and so can you. And I'm saying there is a, a degree to which that's okay because you don't want people who don't understand what you may be going through to be hurt by something that you didn't intend them to be hurt by. So I go back to what I'm counseling you with is find safe people, make sure you have some safe places that you can go to on those very bad days. But the beautiful thing about it is, as we're gonna see in just a moment, is that God is preparing us, he is moving us into a place through these experiences of life where believe it or not, we're going to come out stronger and better prepared for the road ahead. I believe that. In fact, in Romans, if you'll look with me in Romans chapter eight, verse 29, we've been using this as the basis of our series and, and I wanna kinda color this uh, this morning and I hope you'll connect dots with me. The Bible says here God has foreknowledge for those God foreknew, meaning he's sovereign. God knows everything, nothing catches him by surprise. Um, he knows where I am, he knows where you are, he knows what I'm going through, he knows what you're going through. He's sovereign, he sees the beginning from the end, that's why the Bible says the Alpha, the Omega. And then he says based on what he knows about you and based on what he knows about me, he has predetermined certain things that are gonna happen. His foreknowledge triggers predestination. Now, it doesn't mean God forces or coerces, it means that because God knows the circumstances of your life and mine, he knows the decisions that I will and will not make and the decisions you will or will not make, he predetermines certain events that will happen in our life. And by the way, these events are inevitable and they're inescapable. Some of it is rough road, some is smooth road. Some is a narrow path and some is a very wide highway, but God has predetermined certain things that he has deemed necessary, necessary, so that the end result, and here it is, here's just where you connect dots, is that we are conformed into the image of his son so that the divine is displayed. 
Meaning that God will allow certain things in my life and your life with a design in mind. And the design is he wants to be seen in and through how we handle these things, right? He wants to be reflected in our experience. And so he's allowing, he's causing sometimes, he is orchestrating things other times to happen the way they happen so that the end result is somebody will look at your life and go, you've encouraged me by what I've seen you go through. You've, you've challenged me by what I've seen you deal with. You've comforted me by what I have seen you experience. And anytime you hear that and anytime someone says that to you, understand this is God's plan working out in your life where he's taking those circumstances and he's using those circumstances to conform you, to conform me more into the image of his son so that someone will see Jesus in us. And then we talked about how he uses three distinct things in the process. Notice, he uses this word calling. Those he predestined, he predetermined, he called. We talked about the call of God, remember? The Greek word is the word summoned, like a court summons, like a king would summon someone to the court. It's a summons, God calls. And by the way, his call is universal. His call is all-inclusive. I believe his call to a relationship with him involves every single solitary person that ever has been born or ever will be born. God calls everyone. Sometimes people get off on the idea of predestination means God has predetermined certain people will go to heaven and others won't. I don't view it that way because the Bible doesn't explain it that way. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he isn't willing. What's the will of God? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's the will of God for every person to know him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus said, whosoever will, let them come. And then he said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. So it is universal, it is all inclusive. Can I tell you today, if you've not connected with your creator, he's calling you. For some of you, it might be the very reason you're watching or you're in this room this morning is the Holy Spirit of God is drawing you to Jesus Christ because he wants a relationship with you. So he uses this step of calling. It's the first step in the process of being conformed into the image of his son, the calling of God. And then notice the other word he uses here, those he calls, he justifies. Now, once you're connected to the creator, the next thing he does in that process is he justifies you. What does that mean? He puts you in a status, a station before God to where you are sinless in the sense that God doesn't see sin in you anymore, he just sees his son. You are in Christ positionally. Meaning he refers to his children now as saints. <laughs> Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, James 1, to the saints which are scattered abroad. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we don't fall short still as Christ followers. It doesn't mean that we are perfected. It just means God, how he sees us, your sovereign God sees you the minute you're connected with him as justified. You're clean, you're clear. None of the sins or mistakes of your life will ever be held over your head. God will never call you into account for those things simply because all of those things were dealt with at the cross. The hymn writer wrote, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left the crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. You're justified. God sees you just as if I'd never sinned. He sees you justified. So he's called us, he's justified us, and this morning, the last part, he glorifies. He glorifies, meaning he is reflected 
in us. Glory could be defined simply this way, everything that God is. A good biblical definition of glory would be everything that he is. When Paul said in Ephesians, unto him be glory in the church, Paul was saying, may everything that God is be reflected in his church. That's where I'm kind of back where I started. May everything he is be reflected in my life. And sometimes it is the adversity, it is the difficulty where he's seen the most. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The problem with most of us is not that we are weak. The problem with most of us is that we're too strong. We're living in a very successful uh, society, community, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of them in our church, a lot of very type A, very driven, highly motivated people, and those are all wonderful qualities. I'm not discounting any of that. But I'm saying because we are wired that way, sometimes the only time we rely on God is when every other avenue has failed. We don't mean to do that, but it's just our knee jerk. I'll get my way out of this. I'll think my way through this. I'll, I'll write some things down. Here's another plan. I'll try this. I'll do that. I'll get up earlier. I'll stay up later. So we go through all these scenarios, and when we just keep hitting the wall, keep hitting the wall, keep hitting the wall, finally at the end of the day, we go, oh, help God. And he's like, been here all the time. <laughs> been here waiting on you. So the problem is oftentimes is not we're not too weak to try to trust him more. It's that we're too strong. And sometimes he has to bring us to a place where we'll say, God, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So I'm just suggesting you guys, this is a a process. This thing of God trying to be glorified in and through our life is is a process. And number one, it begins by understanding it is our relation to Jesus where all this starts. I mean, the minute you connect with your creator, the minute you respond to his call and he justifies you, he forgives you, he cleanses you, you enter into a process with him where he's being reflected in your daily life. Paul would write in Philippians 1, 6, he who started the good work in you, right, will complete it under the coming of Jesus. So think about your life as a process. Now you've got an old nature, you have a new nature. And this word conformed is is a central word to understanding because you'll find that word conformed again in Romans 12. In this case, uh, he's writing saying, I want you to be conformed. God is in the process of conforming you into the image of his son. Now listen, if that doesn't happen, Romans 12, as I'm gonna explain, says we'll be conformed into the image of this world. Now, when I grew up, my dad a pastor, so I've been in this a long time, I would hear terms that sometimes didn't translate always to people that don't have a strong church background, terms like worldliness, right? So when I was a kid, I heard that defined in many different ways, and I never really come to ter- came to terms with what that word meant. When you look into the Bible, there are three types of, uh, uh, three ways in which the word world is used. There's the wor- word, <laughs> word world that is used in the sense of created things, right? Rocks and planets and mountains, and those are created things. So the world in the sense what God has created, we're in his created world, right? Then you have the word world as it relates to people. John three sixteen for God so loved the world, right? He's talking about people that he gave his only begotten son. So there is the created world, there is a world of people, and then this is the third usage, and this is how I'm, uh, this is the usage that is in the Romans 12. There is the world in the sense that it is a system a system. Now, we don't use that word very often out in society. We use this word secularism, right? It means the same thing. 
it is a system, a form of thinking that does not include God in its reasoning. Uh, we grew up with that nature. I'll handle it on my own. I can do it without anybody. I don't need, no one ever helped me. I lifted myself up by my, you, know, all the, you hear all those expressions in different ways. They're all saying the same thing, and that is, I'm in a system that basically does not include God in its thinking. Most people who draw into that and who live in that system are not uh, theoretic atheists. You know, a theoretic atheist is someone who has just come to the conclusion after much study that they cannot prove the existence of God, therefore they have determined they cannot believe in a God they can't prove, right? So they would become a theoretic atheist. By, in theory, they believe uh, uh, that they are an atheist. There are, most people that I know aren't there. Most people are practical atheists, right? In other words, they just live as though there's no God. They just live life as though he doesn't exist. They're in this system that doesn't consider him. Uh, what is it, Psalm 53, the, the foolish one has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, the there is in the King James is in the italics, which indicates it was not in the original. So you could literally drop it from the, from the reading and not harm the text by saying, the foolish one has said in his heart, no God. I mean, it's foolish to think that God doesn't exist and to live your life according to that theory. And so there are a lot of people who buy into that, and I'm saying that to say this, that's natural. You, you can be connected to Jesus in relationship to Jesus and have that theory as part of your life's uh, you know, motivation. It is to be, it's up to me, right? I, I've gotta make, and so we understand all these little catchphrases that we, and you're not careful, you exclude God from the daily, uh, uh, activity of your life. You're not praying to him, you don't seek his wisdom, you're not thinking through it, um, you're handling it as though everything rests on you. Here's how I've found the balance. I try to pray as though everything depends on God, and then I get up and go work as though everything depends on me. <laughs> and it is an interdependence that I have with him. I need him and he will use me and it's that understanding. So I try to, I try to walk through that in that way. And I, in so doing, get this, in so doing, I'm gradually moving away from this confirmation to a system that doesn't include God. Now I'm back to Romans 12. The Bible says don't be conformed, Romans 12, one and two, don't be conformed uh, into the pattern of this world. Don't be pressed into the mode. But instead, how do you, how do you make that happen? Be transformed, how? by the renewing of your mind. The word transform is the key. We get our word metamorphosis from the same Greek word. You kids have transformers around the house, which is a little toy that can transform into a different type of form. It's the same word. It means you and I, when you're connected to your creator and you're in relationship with Jesus, you have a presence within you, you have a power within you that can actually transform you and to be metamorphosized, to be transformed from the confirmation of the world, to be conformed in the image of God is a process. It's a pro Transformation is a process and it happens in how I think and how you think. So every day I have to consciously look at the challenges that are before me and know God has a plan. It's how I think. How I think is God's plan is being worked out in my life. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. He didn't ask my opinion. <laughs> so I simply say, okay, God, I'm trusting you in the midst of this. And I, I think that way. And in thinking that way, it keeps me from a, a, an, a, an independence on me and keeps me with an interdependence upon him. 
You, you follow me? So this thing of, of glorifying God and being a reflection of who he is, it, it really does start and it really does involve my relation to him. Let me ask you before I go any further, are you connected to your creator? Has there been that time in your life when you've invited him in your heart? Here's another verse that really supports the process. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 16. We do not lose heart. Our outward nature is wasting away, listen, but our inner nature is being removed, re renewed rather every day. Listen, for this slight momentary affliction, this season that I'm going through, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, there's our word again, beyond all comparison. You got that? Meaning you're in a chapter right now, it may not be a great chapter, but this chapter, believe it or not, is preparing you for something better, right? That's the hope. That's the, that's the last chapter. So it begins with a relationship with God. Here's the second thought. It involves not only that, our representation of Jesus, not just our relation to him, but our representation of him. Kind of goes back to what I said a minute ago, how I'm careful with collateral damage when I'm having a really bad day. It's living, living every day of your life cognizant of the fact that somebody is looking at you. Do you have you ever thought about the fact somebody, you're influencing someone? Some of you are sitting next to little kids. And you may at this point in their life be the biggest influence in their young life. That word influence, influence is an interesting word. It, it comes from these words, inflow, inflow. It's the idea of smaller tributaries that flow together to create a current that creates a larger river and everything that flows into that gets caught up in the current. Have you ever considered your life? Somebody, listen, somebody is getting caught in the current of your life. Someone right now is caught up in the current of your life. That's why mom and dad is so important how you handle the difficulties of life and they'll happen, they're coming, you know that. Because sometimes those around you are influenced the most by you and that's why it's so important that we understand, man, I'm representing something bigger than me to people that I'm impacting and I'm influencing. So I wanna be careful how I handle this. I wanna be careful what I say about this. And so one of the ways whereby we can display the divine is in the knowledge that we represent him every day we live, at school, at work, in our community, to our neighbors. Somebody really is, honest to God, watching how you're handling the things that you go through. That's why it's important, I think, on a Sunday, we just pause long enough to consider that. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, get this, whatever you do, <laughs> whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Understand that whatever you do, God's gonna be seen, good or bad, he's gonna be seen through that action. So we bring him glory, not only in our relation to him, we bring him glory in our representation of him. Here's the last thought, we'll go home. We bring him glory one day with our revelation with him. Meaning one day, he's gonna present us in his presence. The Bible refers to the church, the church meaning the church universal, the church that is the entire body of Christ. One day he's gonna present us, the Bible says, before his father in the presence of the angels in heaven as his bride. Jesus is gonna say, this is, the, this is the group I died for. This is the group that chose me. They heard my call, I justified them. And now in your presence, Father, I'm gonna glorify them. Have you thought about one day, guys, one day, we're gonna be in the presence of the Lord. Think about it this way as I close. That means one day we're gonna be reunited with all those that have gone before. Isn't that good news? I, I don't know how people navigate those 
moments in life without that hope. The Bible says concerning death and the death particularly of someone who's connected with their creator, that when we grieve after someone who's died, 1 Thessalonians 4 says we don't sorrow, get this expression, as those who have no hope. Because we have hope. Everybody sorrows. The difference is and the depth of it is we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. What is the hope? The hope is the hope of the resurrection. The hope is the hope of heaven. The hope is one day we're gonna be reunited with those who have gone before. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, one day, get this, the Lord himself. I'd be happy if he sent an angel, wouldn't you? (laughs) I'd be cool with that. But he's coming himself. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, loud. Man, I don't like loud. I don't like loud in church. Well, you may not enjoy heaven. (laughs) It's a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trump, Loud. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. They need that head start. (laughs) And then the Bible says, we which are alive and remain. And I hope I'm part of that group. (laughs) I'm going to be in one of the two groups. I hope I'm part of that group, the alive and remain group. It's not the dying that I'm afraid of. It's how that's going to happen that gives me a little heartburn. (laughs) But I'm just suggesting you that The Bible says we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. We get the idea of rapture. The rapture, you don't find the word in the Bible. The definition you find is to be caught up. One day, ladies and gentlemen, the church will be raptured with those whose bodies were interred back into the earth. We caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever, so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're gonna be reunited one day. Have you thought about that? That mom, dad, some of you with children, Some of you with brothers and sisters, one of these days you're gonna see them again. One of these days you'll hear the voice again. One of these days you're gonna be reunited with them again. It's gonna happen. As sure as the sun rises tomorrow, that's gonna happen. And not only are we gonna be reunited with them, but let me give you another sweet thought. They're gonna be in a glorified state. Third John says, beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. One of these days, that body that we inter back to the earth, Solomon said it's ashes to ashes or it's dust to dust. One day that body will be resurrected and recreated and reunited with the spirit and soul that are with God. You say, what kind of bodies are the resurrected bodies? Well, Jesus is the first fruit. He's the first example. First uh, Corinthians 15, what kind of body did he have? Go to the upper room after the resurrection. Remember with Thomas? Jesus said, Thomas, you've doubted, touch, reach and touch me. And then he's made this comment, a spirit, because people thought heaven was a bunch of spirits, right? Casper convention, just floating on clouds and strumming harps. And that's what people thought heaven was. But Jesus said, no, Thomas, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. What is a resurrected body? A body of flesh and bone. My view is it's no longer powered by blood, it's powered by the spirit, so it is eternal. You travel at the speed of thought. That's moving out, isn't it? So the point is, these resurrected bodies, one day, are bodies of flesh. You'll be able to hug them. You'll touch them. They're real. Let me tell you, the people in heaven are as real as the people in this room. And one of these days, folks, if we can see that and understand that and comprehend that, one of these days, those who died and those who will yet die will be resurrected, those bodies brought out of the grave to be reunited with the spirit that goes immediately to God when they die. I don't believe in soul sleep. I'll give you this one too, and that's my second closing, so you know I'm almost done. 
Uh, I don't believe in soul sleep. Some people believe the spirit and soul of a person sleeps within their body and awaits the morning of the resurrection. I don't believe that because the Bible doesn't teach that. Second Corinthians five, the Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. What happens is your spirit and soul just outlive your body. One of these days you'll hear the summon, the call of God to come up higher and your spirit and soul leave that body and the body goes to the earth to wait the morning of the resurrection. And when the Bible refers to death as a sleep, it always talks about the body. And that's a beautiful word by the way because anyone asleep is subject to be awakened at any moment, which is the resurrection. And one of these days those bodies that are sleeping will be resurrected and reunited with the spirit and soul that are with God and recreated. You say, well, what about bodies that are just back ashes to ashes? There's nothing there. Well, my view is God stepped from nowhere, stood on nothing and created everything out of nothing. He can recreate everything out of nothing. He's good at that. By the way, I'm not on the planning committee. I'm on the welcoming committee. So that's not, (laughs) that's not anything I'm worried about. He said it and I just believe it. And I'm telling you what I read. And I'm just suggesting that one of these days, guys, one of these days we're going to be in heaven. That's the last chapter. So when you have a bad day and you have a dark day, no, we're going to a better place. This is as bad as it'll ever be. And this is just a season. It's gonna get better. Hang in there. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word that gives us such encouragement. Isaiah reminded us that your word never returns void. That it always accomplishes the purpose for which you've sent it. So Lord, I trust in the integrity of your word. I trust in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you will arrest our minds and hearts to think about the things we've heard this morning. There's one here that is never connected with their creator. I pray this would be the moment where they humble their heart, invite you into their life. For others, Lord, who do know you, but they may be in a bad season. They may be going through a hard time. I, I pray something has been said to give them some encouragement. And Lord, for all those who just need someone to pray for them before they leave, I pray as soon as I dismiss now, they'll find their way here to the front and allow one of these amazing people to take just a moment with them, to encourage them, to pray over them. I pray you'll bless every person in this room and those who are watching. Give them a great week. Protect their families. Bless their businesses. I pray this will be an effective week. Keep them healthy. May they be effective. And Lord, we look forward to the moment when we'll gather here again to give you praise, to worship you, and hear you speak once more from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.